what do we have to praise the Lord about tonight? Somebody say something. Everything. Everything. That's a lot. Anything specific. Somebody say, raise your hand. Yes, Miss Marilena. Your health. Nate. That's good. Someone else. Miss Emma. Salvation. Someone else. Brother Caton. Precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. You get to be here at church tonight. Amen. You're not in the hospital tonight. You're not in jail tonight. There's a lot to praise God for. Amen. Let's praise him. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. We have so much to praise you about, Father. So easy in life, Lord, to go around pouting about all the problems we have. But, Lord God, help us lift up our eyes and realize how good you've been to us, that we have Christ is our Savior, Lord, that we have a home in heaven, that we live in the greatest country in the world. As bad as she is, she's still the best. We're thankful for that, Lord. We're thankful, Lord. We have the freedom to meet here at church without any thought of possible persecution. We think of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine tonight that cannot meet. Lord, being persecuted, some of them are dying Many of them have died already. God, we pray, God, for that country and pray for those, Lord, who are being invaded. But we don't know, understand all the whys and the ifs and why things happen, Lord, but we just trust in you. We're thankful for what we have and pray, God, that you just bless tonight. May Jesus Christ be exalted and magnified in everything that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you, Miss Robin. Take your Bibles, if you would, tonight and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tonight, Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1 tonight. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in verse 1. Now these are the commandments and statutes and judgments the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither thou goest to possess it that I might fear the Lord thy God to keep all the statutes, his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord thy God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Gracious Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for allowing us to gather. Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you for your word, how precious it is. We thank you for its many promises. I pray, Lord, tonight that you'd help us to hear. We ask for ears to hear as we look at these verses tonight in this, in this theme of the importance of education, Christian education in our lives and learning more about you and your precepts and your commandments and your statutes. And from learning about you, 
how we can grow in our Christian life. And in growing our Christian life, how we can be an influence, Lord, not only in this place, but in every place that we go. Thank you for tonight. I pray you bless this night. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I believe in the importance of Christian education. I believe the importance of Christian education. I was saved, some of you know, some of you don't know. Between my junior and senior year, April the 15th, 1989, and towards the end of my junior year, I went to Wade Hampton High School. It was called What's Happening High School. It was a public school, about 3,000 people. I got saved in April. Loved sports. That was my favorite part of whole school. Uh, football, primarily, but played uh, some little bit of uh, the track, wrestling. But <clears throat> that summer, the man who was our choir director was the coach of a Christian school where I was saved at. His name was Larry Ledbetter. Coach Ledbetter came to me one day and he said, "Would you be? Are you? Have you thought about Christian education next year, your senior year?" And I really hadn't thought about it. It was my senior year. I thought about actually going and playing football and actually playing, actually starting, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe get off the bench and play a little more. I thought about you know all my friends, you know, and all my senior year. But uh, he said, "Well, you know, if you if you come here, I guarantee you, you will start on the soccer team." Is that soccer? Okay, never played soccer before, except for just kick the ball around. <clears throat> but he talked about that, and uh, he encouraged me to um, give my last year of school to Christian education. And really, it was outside of my salvation, outside of going to church, it's probably the biggest decision I made in my life. If I did not go to Christian school that year, I would not be here right now. I have absolutely no doubt about that. You are influenced by people. Those influences of your life direct your life. Who you hang around with, who you spend time with, what you, who you spend time with outside of church directly influence your life and the direction of your life. You have bad influences. For the most part, most people go the wrong way. You have positive influences. For the most part, most people go the right way. Now, even sometimes people, we have a few times throughout the Bible, you see people like Joseph and Daniel, even in a, in a wicked circumstance, they chose to do right. But if you look through the scriptures, you don't find many people like that. You don't find many young people who can stand up for God in a wicked environment, especially when they're young in the faith. And so one of the decisions I had to make as a young person at 17 even without my parents really being 100% for me because my mom was a first graduate at Wade Hampton High School. She wanted me to graduate from there as well. I made a decision to go to Christian school. And I think it was a very important decision because Christian education, I believe, is important in our lives. There's, it's important. George Washington said, the best means of forming a, a Mainly virtuous and happy people be found in right education of youth. Without this foundation, every other means, in my opinion, must fail. That's what George Washington, the first president of the United States, said. We have responsibility, not only as, as, as 
as parents and also as a church about proper education, proper education. First, we must teach the importance of a biblical worldview. We've been talking about that. What is the lens in which you look at the world? If you, if you look at the world through a secular worldview, your worldview is shot. Because it's, only, it's based on the temporal. It's based on the now. It's based on get what you can, can what you get. Life is about the now. Life's about getting um, what you can for, and focusing on yourself. I, I, I witnessed to someone just recently who was trying to share with that person the importance of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that person said, I can only trust in me. I can only trust in me. And, and the, the worldview of this world is trust self. But if you trust in self, you will fail. You will fail. You say, well, I can be successful in life by trusting myself. I've done it my whole life. Well, when you get to this next life, it's not about trusting yourself. Because trusting yourself will send you to hell. That's why trusting yourself will get. Ask the rich man and Lazarus tonight about trusting in self. Ask, 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 ask Judas about trusting in self tonight. Yeah, you know, it ain't about trusting in self. It's about trusting in Jesus. In the secular worldview, it's all about trusting your intelligence, trusting your know-how, trusting your ability, trusting your skill, trusting what you can see. But Christianity is not trusting what you can see. It's trusting what you can't see. It's trusting the eternal and putting your faith and hope in God. That's what Christianity is. So we teach as a church and hopefully as parents, we teach a biblical worldview that it's not that it's not about what you can see, but what your hands is trusting him who died on the cross for you so you can have everlasting life. Amen. So for these, I'm going to give you tonight three reasons why Christian education is a valuable component in helping young people develop, develop a biblical worldview. First of all, we see the responsibility of Christian education. It is to teach children God's word as the foundation for every aspect of life. Parents, we should teach. This book is the foundation of our life. This is the focus of our life. This is, this is we, we, all other books are subservient to this book. The English book, math book, history book might, might be good, but this book is best book. Might be great books to read, great books to study, great books to, to, to read, to, to, to talk about. But the focus of our life is this book. That this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. We ought to teach in our homes the importance of the Word of God. How do you teach the importance of the Word of God, parents? You read it yourself. See, if the Word of God isn't important to you, the Word of God isn't important to your kids. It's just the truth. If you treat the Word of God like, well, it's just another book. And sometimes I read it, sometimes I don't read it, kind of like the Reader's Digest. Then you know what your kids will do? They'll probably treat it, they'll, they'll treat it actually less than you do. What you do here, they will do less of typically in the home. I'll go to funerals oftentimes. I'll see a grandparent who lived for God. I'll see their kids that don't live for God so much. I'll see their, I'll see their grandkids who hardly don't live for God at all. I'll see their great-grandkids basically are pagans. That's generally how it happens in this world. Not always, but I'm talking generally speaking. 
Well, it's important that you and I emphasize in the home the importance of, of the Word of God. Reading it, studying it, quoting it, memorizing, meditating on it. That's why it says there in verse 7, thou shalt teach them diligently. It didn't say, it didn't say thou shalt teach them nonchalantly. It didn't say just kind of like, well, you know, apathetically. It says diligently. Diligently. When something comes on TV, parents, that you know is objectable, object, ob that word too. When it comes on TV, you should stop and say, well, is that good or bad? Use, use, use life lessons. Should we do this? Should we go there? What's the, and go back and say, what does the Bible say? Don't stick, don't lick your finger and put it in the air and say, which way is the, which way is the world blowing? It's always blowing left. Strong wind to the left. Do right. Go right. Choose right. Even if all your relatives don't think you're right, you do right. All my relatives went to such and such a school. So be don't be dumb. Be different. Just a tutor. Because who are you ultimately trying to please? Your family? Good luck on that. Please Jesus. Because your friends and your family are fickle and they will change in a heartbeat or a hiccup. Just do choose to do right. Because someday you're going to stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? Choose to please Him. First of all, responsibility of education is given to the parents. The parents. Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's our responsibility, parents. It's our responsibility to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of God. Now, some people think, well, preacher, I'm going to bring them up physically. It's a church responsibility to bring them up spiritually. That's not the Bible. You can't find that in the Bible. That's not what the Bible says. No, you and I as a parent have responsibility first and foremost to raise our children. That's, God, that was, that's what God tells us. How do you do that? I've said it before, I say it again. You have to live a Christian life yourself. The best, way to, the best way to teach your kids how to live for God is for you to live for God. You can't fake it till you make it. You, Josh McDowell said, You can con a con, you can fool a fool, but you can't kid a kid. You got to be real. You're going to make mistakes, you're going to fall down, you're going to say things you shouldn't say. You're going to do things you shouldn't do. And when you do those things, you should apologize. Admit it. Admit you're wrong. The worst thing you can do is do wrong and say you're doing right. That's the pathway to hell for your kids. That's the pathway to hell. If you failed in your past, admit it. When I was on this motorcycle trip, one of the dear brothers, and I won't mention names to uh, give away the, the guilty, parties but i appreciate some of these guys and their humility some of these guys are older than me and some of them, some of these men broke down in tears thinking about the mistakes they made with their kids about the failures that they had with their own kids and not making the choices that they should have made when they have the opportunity to make them you see folks parents you have one shot at this this isn't like a video game you press it over and you start again you got one time at this. That's why this time is precious. This time is valuable. Seize it. 
Seize it. How do you spell love? T-I-M-E. Spend time. Spend time teaching, helping, encouraging, living the Christian life. Not only is it given to parents, it is responsibility given to church. Because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So not only is responsibility of the parents, foremost responsibility for the parents, it is our responsibility for the church. That's why we have Pastor Pirate. That's why we have Sunday school class. That's why we have nursery for little ones. That's why we have vacation Bible school. That's why we have youth worship. Because it's important. We're supposed to feed the little lambs. We're supposed to take care of the little sheep. So it's responsibility not only given, not only given to the parents, it's, it's responsibility given to the church. It's a shared responsibility. It's a shared responsibility. Both parents have a great responsibility, first and foremost, and the church has responsibility. And we should take that responsibility very seriously. So it's the responsibility of the Christian education. Secondly, you know, there's risks, obviously, within public education. Unfortunately, many of you know in the day which some of you were raised, you used to hear the Bible taught in school. Some of you were raised in Bible school. Some of you were taught, actually, where you heard the teaching of creation right beside evolution. You heard that. Now today, you don't hear creation at all. It used to, be the, used to be the theory of evolution. Now it's the fact of evolution. It's the fact. You see, the problem in education today, for the most part, is not education, it's indoctrination. It's indoctrination. Thank God for a, govern, govern, a governor who's saying, we're not going to have transgenderism in our preschools. We're not going to teach critical race theory, which is basically critical race theory is thinking that all problems in life are seen through the lens of racism. Is there racism in our country? But friends, there's been racism from the beginning of time to the end of time. But, the, but if you look at, at life through the lens of every problem is a race issue, your life is going to be destroyed. That should be taught in public school. We need reading, writing, and arithmetic. Amen. Let's get back to two plus two equals four. And spelling and reading. We begin to get back to that. The Bible says in Colossians chapter two, verse eight, beware lest any man spoil you through the philosophy of vain deceit after the addition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. There's an academic risk in some places where uh, Brother Nate's from in L.A. I just mentioned that, Nate. 39% of LA's fourth graders are basically illiterate. 46% of the, of the eighth graders have, have, have a basic math proficiency. Now, in, in Alachua County, 50% there's a 50% proficiency in reading in Alachua County. 57%. 58% in math. Now, is that what you want going out there working in the in the businesses of the day? Is that, is that is what, what we want? No. No, dear friends. And sadly, 
There's something called outcome-based education where school administrators have been able to protect themselves against the appearance of their school failing behind academically. Administrators can create their own standard of passing or failing in order to bring their numbers to, to successful students to national average. The results in that school administration receives funding while students suffer. What your education that you got in public school is different than the education they get today. It's not the same. Things that are different are not the same. There's an academic risk. But beyond the academic risk, there's a moral risk. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but is delight in the law of the Lord, and his law doth meditate day and night, he that, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And bringing forth his fruit in the season, his leaf shall also not wither, and which he goes shall prosper. The word blessed means happy. Happy. It says, Blessed is man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. I made three vows in my life one to my wife, one to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the third is to not allow my children to be educated by the heathen. Why? This verse right here. Well, after college, they want to choose to go off where they want to do. They want to pay for it. That's up to them. But through college, I've made a decision. My wife had made a vow before God that we would not pay for their, our kids to be educated by the heathen. Why? Because I didn't want them to be, to be in the counsel of the ungodly or standing in the way of sinners or in the seat of the scornful. You can, <laughs> there is an influence, an ungodly influence when you're around pagans all the time. It's going to rub off on your children. It has to. It has to. So it's not just, not just an academic risk. It's a moral risk. As a principal of a Christian school, as a principal for Christian school for three years, I would see kids come in from public school. And in fifth grade, in fifth grade, they had already watched things they should never have seen, should never watched. Sexual educational classes. Taking those young folks from, who have watched those type of videos and then putting them in a Christian school environment. How was that going to work? I'm going to tell you as a principal, it didn't work out very well. It didn't work out very well. My heart was sick when parents in that situation, who, who especially single parents who had the situation where they had, had nowhere else to go and they were trying to do their best for their children. It was a difficult situation. And what, who, who was hurt the most? The child. The child. You say, well, in a Christian school, in a Christian home, uh, where there's homeschooling, isn't there sin? Well, sure there is. But it's not promoted. <laughs> it's not promoted in this Christian school. It's not promoted in homeschooling. There's an there's a academic risk. There's the moral risk. There's the apathetic risk. Martin Luther said, I, have, I, I advise no one to place a child where the scriptures do not reign paramount. What, you, what, what are you going to emphasize in life? What are you going to choose? There's, a, there's the influence of scorners. There's the influence of people who go around in school and hate their parents. If, you're, if your kid's around other kids who hate their parents, you think that's going to be influence on them? I guarantee it's going to be an influence on you. If, you, if your kids are around other kids who are doing things they shouldn't do, don't you think, you think it's going to influence you? Well, didn't it influence you? Yeah, it influenced you. It influenced me. 
What do we want to do? We want to instill them godly principles. We do not want them to be apathetic. So human, the public school teaches a religion. You say, what do they, they teach? The religion of a humanist. The humanist manifesto. What does it entail? We affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience, needing no theological or ideological sanction. Here's what they believe. Religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Wrong. Humanism believes that man is part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of a continuous process. Wrong. Humanism recognizes that man's religious and culture and civilization is clearly depicted by anthropology and history and are a product of gradual development. Wrong. Humanism assesses the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable and, and any supernatural cosmic guarantees of human values. Wrong. Religious humanism considers the complete rationalization realization, excuse me, of human personality to be the end of men's life and seeks its development and fulfillment in the here and now. Wrong. The goal of humanism is free and universal society in which people voluntarily and intelligently cooperate for the common good. Humanists demand a shared life in a shared world. Wrong. All these are lies. Now, let me, I'm going to tell you, how can you, how can you, how can you and I as a parent allow for our kids to go to listen to stuff that's just lies? How can people pay money for people to hear lies? Dear friend, if you have a choice, don't do it. I could have two Harley Davidsons brand new out there for what I paid on Christian education. But dear friend, I don't regret one dime I've given to Christian education. I don't regret one dime. Because the Bible says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Don't allow your children to be the companion of fools. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 1 Corinthians 15 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Abraham Lincoln said, the philosophy for the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next. Aren't we reaping what we have sowed? Look at the government of the United States of America. It is godless. It is godless. And that's why we're going the wrong way. It's godless. One of America's founding fathers was a statesman by the name of Governor Morris, some call, some man, sometimes called the penman of the Constitution. He authored a large, sec, large section of the American Constitution and one of the courageous signers. Mr. Morris specifically noted the need to teach scriptural principles in school as a means of preserving national freedom and integrity. He said, religion is the only solid basis of good morals. Therefore, education to teach the precepts of religion and the duties of man towards God. Oh, give us some more men and some more women who believe the scriptures are the final authority. We need that today. The risk of academic, moral, and spiritual of secular education are great. And worst of all, these risks involve parents' greatest treasure, the hearts of your children. The hearts of your children. We have responsibility of Christian education. There's a risk of public education and the role of the church in Christian education. What's our role? 
as we conclude, to teach the principles of the Word of God. 1 Timothy 4, 9 says, This is a faithful, save, saving, worthy of all accept, acceptation. And, and therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. These things are command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of believers in word and conversation, in charity, in spirit, and faith, in purity till I come. Give attendance to reading, exhortation, to, to doctrine. What do we desire for our young folks? To be the example of the believers. Do you know in every major revival in the history of the United States, or really some of the history of the world, especially in the last several decades, centuries, it's all been started by youth. It's been started by youth. They've been the ones who lead the way. We want our young people to be the example of the believers in word, their life, their love, their spirit, their faith, their purity. That's what we desire. More than an academic education, young people need a thorough spiritual understanding of the principles of God's word to navigate the many decisions of their life. That's why the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you knew this, but I, I, I found this out. A little, little known fact today is that the United States public school system actually began with scriptural-centered education. The first elementary school supported by tax money was established in Boston in 1647, just five years after the Bay Colony was established. This Puritan community passed an ordinance that required at least one qualified teacher for every 50 households and a grammar school in every town, more than 100 families. It also put the Bible in the center of its curriculum, asserting that one chief project of that old deluder, Satan, is to keep men from knowledge of the Scripture. The Bible needs to be the center. The Bible needs to be center. We need to display the Ten Commandments. But, friend... <laughs> You see, even folks who are not saved should look at the Ten Commandments and say, thou shalt not steal. What's wrong with that? Thou shalt not murder. What's wrong with that? Thou shalt not commit adultery. What's wrong with that? Thou shalt not covet. Not, what's wrong with that? Those things are the building blocks of our society and why the society is successful today. You know, things are being taken out of our schools, taken out of our curriculum. No, they don't be taken out. They need to be. They need to be put back in. Thank God for the courageous folks who still are in the public schools, who you see this time of year who get ready to graduate, and they and someone gets up to pray at a graduation, and they get in trouble because they pray in Jesus' name. Thank God they pray in Jesus' name. Thank God for the coaches and 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 teachers in the public schools who are still trying to do right, who pray at halftime at a at a football game or try to teach morality to some students. Thank God for them. Thank God for them. But we need to teach Christ-centered academics. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, If any teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even words of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the doctrine, that's the teaching, which is according to godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, but doting without questions, strife of words, wherefore cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse deputings of men, corrupt minds, destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness from, from such, with, withdraw thyself. Dear friend, John Witherspoon, the first president of Princeton University, listen to what he said. He said, cursed be all learning that is not subservient to the cross of Christ. Oh, how far Princeton has fallen. 
Oh, that we would have an education today that was subservient to the cross of Jesus Christ. How different our world would be. Secular institutions can impart a degree of understanding in science, math, English, history, but they cannot, without God, direct a child's heart towards true wisdom. What does the proverb say? Get wisdom. Get wisdom. With all thy getting, get wisdom. Where do you get wisdom? Not from a secular textbook, but from God's Word. Amen. And if children, if youth, and young people need anything today, they need wisdom. Wisdom to choose the right occupation. Wisdom to choose the right mate in life. And that's a man choosing a wife and a wife choosing a man. Amen? They need wisdom to make decisions in life. You cannot get that in the secular realm. You can only get that in the spiritual realm. Psalm 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandment. His praise endures forever. Only Christian education will point children towards awareness of God's presence, of their accountability to Him, and, their, and they, they should assimilate and use this knowledge for the glory of God. And thirdly, we must cultivate hearts for God. Someone said, an education is not worth a great deal if it teaches young people how to make a living, but not how to live. How to live. You can learn how to, how to you, can turn, you can learn all kinds of facts and figures in life. But the most important thing is how to live. What are you going to do when someone in your house gets sick? The doctor says you might not you might not have the opportunity that person might not live very long. What are you going to do in decision when you have when you have to make that type of decision? What are you going to do when parents get a divorce? What are you going to do when you have to move from one lake or location to another? What what are all the facts and figures of a book going to help you? No, oh, dear friend, in those moments. All the facts and figures of knowledge you can get in school will not help you. The only thing that will help you is a trust in the God of all the universe. Is realizing the truth of trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's what we need to be teaching. The importance of trusting in God. Because life, as all of us know, is not there's nothing is sure in this life. <laughs> if we know anything about this life, there's nothing for sure in this life except for what we know of the Word of God. That's what we know. A successful Christian life reflects far more than outer conformity, just, think, just church attendance, adherence to standards, appearance of spiritual inter interest. It is the expression of a heart consumed with Christ and passionate about glorifying God. Ephesians 6, verse 6 not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. This is why basic academic education is not enough. Theodore Roosevelt Jr. said, to educate a man's mind and not in morals is to educate a menace to society. And what do we have today? Menaces of society. Because they know a lot of facts and figures, but they have no moral compass. Because where do you get your moral compass? From the word of God. Not from TV, not from Netflix, not from Facebook or Instagram or social media or TikTok. 
That's not where you get your moral compass. You get your moral compass from the Word of God, from godly parents and a good church, Sunday school teachers. That's where we get moral compass. 2 Timothy 3, 14, But continue thou in the things thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing from whom thou hast learned them, and thou from a child. Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in the salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Remember, 19, remember in the 70s, that, that commercial? Remember that commercial of that pan and that eggs? And it was, it was a mine is a terrible thing to waste. Remember that? Dear friends, the minds of children today are a terrible thing to waste. God has given us as parents and us as a church valuable, the most valuable resource that we have, the hearts and minds of children. That's why spending time teaching, praying, encouraging our youth today is one of the most important things we can do. My goal, by the grace of God, is once this church gets out of debt to start a Christian school here. I'd love to see it 10 years from now or sooner if some of you just want to belly up to the bar and just get, pay it all off. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. But I'd love to see us one day, somebody walk in the door and we say, welcome to North Gainesville Baptist Church and Christian school. We got some, we got some folks that are already teachers here, have a little education, have a little know-how. It'd be a great day. And if God wills it, maybe it will happen. I don't know if it will, but I'd love to see it. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We need to cultivate young people with hearts for God. Hearts for God. I was in Thomasville, Georgia. And there I found this, this tree. That was kind of the main reason we went. When I looked at it, it, was a, it looked like a huge bush, but it was a live oak that was over 300 years old. And I thought about that thing. I thought about all the people that spent time underneath that tree, all the people in that town who spent time putting up the limbs and taking care of the thing and helping it and not chopping it down <laughs> for firewood. They invested a lot in that tree. And it's still around today to provide shade for any passerby. And dear friend, we as a church need to cultivate the hearts of our youth, the minds of our youth for Christ, so that not just five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the youth that are in this church are still going to church, still living for God. Statistically, they say 70% of the youth that are in this room today will not be in church in their 20s. But dear friend, you don't have to go by statistics. Statistically, I shouldn't be behind this pulpit. <laughs> Statistically, Party Hardy Marty Moon should not be preaching about Jesus Christ on a Sunday night in April. Forget all statistics. Live for God. Because we serve the God of the impossible. Serve the God of the impossible. God can do anything through these young folks. I want them to be missionaries and pastor's kids and, and pastor's wives and living for God and missionaries living for God 20, 30, 40 years from now. God can do it. Do you believe it? I believe. I believe. But it all starts, dear friend, with us and taking that responsibility seriously, making hard decisions, sacrificial sometimes decisions. 
Not be consumed with what is best for us temporarily. What is best for them down the road. Father, help us, Lord. We as parents and we as a church have a great responsibility to educate the youth in this place that are here now and hopefully someday we'll be here later. God, help us to realize our responsibility. Help us to realize how good you've been to us, how blessed you've been. We're thankful for the folks who've come through this church already. Some of them are preachers right now. (laughs) Some are being used right now. Some of them are in churches preaching the word of God right now. We're thankful for them. Gabe, Lord, help us. May that body of believers increase. May we have more preachers, more pastors, more missionaries, more women who choose to serve God from this place. God, use this place as a hub where young folks can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for all you've done. Help us to live for you. With head bowed, eyes closed, maybe God has spoken to you, parents, about something in your life. Maybe, like me, you feel oftentimes like a failure. (laughs) Maybe you feel like, maybe I don't do enough. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's your grand, maybe as a grandparent, you don't feel like you've done enough or tried enough. Would you say, by the grace of God, I'm choosing to live for God, be consistent for God, not be a hypocrite, but live for God by the grace of God in front of my children tonight? I need, to, I need to recommit to God and be the parent, the grandparent that I should be for the children that God has given me. Pastor, that's my prayer tonight. Would you pray for me that I be that person, that I be that parent, that I be that grandparent that I need to be for God? Amen, amen, amen. Anybody else? Amen, praise God.